Well, good morning. How cool is that? Uh, thank you, worship team. We are starting a new series, Christmas series, The King Has Come. And, and you see we have some props here. We're going to be going through uh, one of these each week, the, the cradle, the cross, and then the throne. Uh, but because this is our Christmas series, and again, it finishes Christmas Eve, so you're not going to know how the story ends if you don't come Christmas Eve. So register, sign up. Uh, if we have to do a third service, we will. So don't worry about it. Sign up. Um, but before we get started, let's see if you recognize some of these Christmas figures. Here's the first one. Who's this? You guys got that one right. Okay. Rudolph. How about that? Alex Hall. Oh, <laughs> just later when he gets back on base, you'll see what I mean. Um, yeah, the Grinch. How about this? Buddy. Not just the elf. That's Buddy the elf. He's the best. Uh, we actually got to go see this in theater last week. Tons of fun. And then the last one. Who is it? Clark Griswold. All right. We just made a delineation between people in here, the religious and then the rest of us. Um, great Christmas movie, though. How, how about Jesus Christ? I mean, we love Christmas. We, we love the stories. We love these movies. Uh, we love just what Christmas does, don't we? You know, the, the cheer of it, the lights on other people's houses, not your own. Um, that's too much work. But just all of Christmas. And sometimes we get, if you're anything like me, we get wrapped up in all the stuff. And, and we don't take time to focus on Jesus. You know, Christmas, Christ, his name is right there in the title. Christmas, Jesus Christ. Now, as I prepare, you know, as I study the Bible and, and ask God to lead me to teach what he wants to say, uh, a lot of times there's, there's new truth um, or there's a great application. It's like, oh, God wants us to move in this direction or, or understand this thing about us, about him. Let me tell you what God has done on my heart for this series. There's not going to be anything probably new. There might be. But he's been stirring my heart that we would go to worship. That our end point, at the end of the day, I hope God stirs your heart to worship. And then next week, we're going to look at the cross, and I hope it leads us to worship. And then Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the throne, and I hope it leads us to worship, because that's what we were made for. We were made to worship. Now, when we think about worship, a lot of times we think about singing, and that's part of it. In fact, that's a big part of worship. But worship is more than just singing. Uh, but with the singing part, when I was in college, so I, I grew up in, in a conservative church. Um, and in church, you showed how spiritual you were by how still you could be during the worship. You know, most of the time it was sitting, sitting down. Sometimes you would stand up. Then I went to college and I went to this thing called singspiration. Uh, yeah, just singspiration. And it was where people got together and sang and worshiped and I came into the room and people were like, you know, doing the, there's the, what is this, the carry the TV, um, the, the, the wash the heavenly windows, uh, the give Jesus a high five. You know, I mean, all these things are happening. I'm like, what is going on here? And it, it got me out of my comfort zone, though. And as I looked at Scripture and realized, you know what, in Scripture, worship is physical. They do th They get on their knees, they raise their hands, they shout, they sing, they play, you know, clang cymbals, they play drums. That's in the Bible. Um, but our, our worship is physical, and that's why here at Common Ground, we've tried to do things when we do the Lord's Supper, which we're doing next week. We get up and we go and we take it. So here's my encouragement to you. Open up your heart over the next three uh, weeks. Open up your heart to worship. And if, if the Holy Spirit is leading you to do something, 
do it. Whether it's go write a, a prayer on the prayer wall. Maybe it's turn around and get on your knees right there. Maybe it's do one of these things. Maybe it's just sing. But whatever God leads you to do, let's worship. That's my prayer, and I'm going to pray that right now. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this Christmas season when we can remember Jesus, what you have done for us. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are God Emmanuel, and we worship you. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to break through the hardness of our hearts. Uh, break through the distraction in our lives. God, that we would get to a place this morning to worship. And, and that that spirit of worship would bleed over into the rest of the day and then through the week and into next week and we would continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you look in Scripture, oftentimes worship is corporate. You know, the gathering, the assembly, getting together. And with COVID and everything, it's a little bit weird right now. So those of you online, you're here with us. You're part of the assembly. And so I pray that you online watching will feel like you are in the assembly and we are worshiping together. So even at home, try some of these weird things. Stand up and sing and, and uh, do whatever God leads you to do. But we're going to be in Matthew to start out. We're going to look at two passages today. Matthew chapter 1 and then Philippians chapter 2. They're both going to be on the screen. So if you don't want to look it up, that's fine. But if you do, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18 and then verses 22 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now here's how we start the story in Matthew. The virgin shall have a baby. Again, we hear this story every year. This is one of those stories you can't really make it new because it's the same story we've heard forever. But let's think about the truth of that. Mary, a, a, a godly young woman, probably in her teens, you know, a godly person, betrothed to Joseph, also a godly man. And God chooses them, and he puts uh, baby Jesus inside Mary's womb. And so she has never slept with a man. That's what this means. She's a virgin, and she's pregnant. Think about how that conversation with Joseph might have gone. You know, hey, I noticed some things are happening to you. Yeah, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Um, and you see here, Joseph is going to send her away. He's like, yeah, I don't believe you. Uh, he's going to send her away privately. An angel appears to him, though, and says, no, she's telling the truth. You're going to call his name Jesus, and he'll be known as Emmanuel. We sang that in two of these songs right here, Emmanuel. And the writer here uh, tells us what that means. Matthew tells us Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. This is from Isaiah chapter 7. And in Isaiah 7, it is a prophecy about the coming king. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. And this king that would come needed to be in the line of David. And so we see at the beginning of Matthew, and we see in some of the other gospels, a genealogy. One of these genealogies goes to Joseph. It goes all the way from Adam to Joseph, but through the line of David to prove Joseph could have the king of Israel as his son. Now, he's a stepson here, but then we also see it tracked to Mary in one of the other gospels, that Mary is also in the line of David. So Jesus is a legitimate heir to the throne. 
But more than just that, he is God with us. Think about that. God with us. No other religion claims anything like this. Every religion tells us what we need to do to get to God or what we need to do to appease the spirits or or whatever it is, however we need to work our way out of our situation. True biblical faith is the only one that says you can't do it, you couldn't do it, and God loves you so much, he came to you. John 1.1 begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah, if you haven't studied John Read John 1, chapter 1, and then read Genesis 1, and then read them back and forth. And you see in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes through. Then John 1, 1 says, uh, uh, in the beginning was the Word. And we see that the Word is the one that created. So Jesus is the one that created in Genesis chapter 1. But then here uh, in uh, John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we call the incarnation. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The incarnation, God becoming human. You know, before this, throughout all the Old Testament, God would send prophets. He would send messengers. But finally, God himself came. He said, I'm going to come and show you who I am. Show you how to live and then pay the price for your sin so you could have life. But to show you. If you remember, Philip asked him, he said, he said, you know, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be content. He says, I've been with you so long, haven't you recognized me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't let anybody tell you that the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. This is a unique truth to the Bible. Jesus is God. Paul is going to describe it in Philippians 2. Philippians 2.6, and it's going to be on the screen, so you don't need to turn there unless you want to. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Now, Paul here is teaching about humility. He's teaching the Philippian church how to live like Christ. And in the midst of this, you know, be like Christ, he shares this deep truth about Jesus and the incarnation. He says this, Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Again, this is the incarnation. What did he do? It says here that although he was in the form of God, that word form is is the word morph, and it actually means exact representation. Now, can something be exactly like God but not be God? No. So, So Jesus is exactly like God, meaning he is God. He is in the form of God, exactly like him. But then he took on the form of a man. He did not uh, consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word grasp means to be held onto, meaning he let go of some of that for a little while. And he took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. You know, that word taking on, it, it, it doesn't mean an exchange of something. It means adding something new in. So he's God, 
And he doesn't stop being God and become a human for a little while and then become God again. He remains God and he takes on and he adds humanity to his, his personality, to who he is. You know, and Jesus, again, he never stops being God. Remember the transfiguration later where he'll be on the mountain and three of his disciples see him and all of a sudden he's changed. It's kind of like he, he, he puts on his godly clothes again or, or he takes off his human ones just to give him a glimpse. It's kind of like the prince and the pauper. You remember that story? You know, where the, there's the king or, or the prince and, and he wants to be a common, so he kind of switches places. We never stopped being the prince. He just was like the pauper. Well, this is what Jesus did, except even more. He actually took on humanity. John 3.16. This is the one that we probably all have memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He sent his one and only son. This is what we're celebrating at Christmas. You know, why did he have to become human? You see it in this Philippians passage. He had to become human because we have a sin debt we can't pay. And it's, it's an eternal debt. Only God could pay the debt, but the penalty for sin is death, and God can't die. So why did God have to become human? Well, he says it right here in Philippians. You know, verse 8, 2, 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But he didn't stay dead. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth. This is why Jesus came. So go back to creation. Dawn asked me at the beginning of, uh, or before service, you know, in Genesis 1 through 3, what are three applications? And, and one of the first ones that comes to mind is, well, he created everything good. You know? And then the second one was like, well, and we messed it up. And, but we're made in God's image, and there's so many others. He had some even better ones. But in Genesis 1, you see the whole situation. God had a plan from the beginning. When he made you, he knew what you were going to be like, and he did it anyway. I'm serious. Have you ever looked in the mirror and you were like, God, I don't know what you were thinking. You know, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was a little kid. And I look back at my life and it's like, I would love to go back and just erase certain parts of my life. I would love to, but God knew I was going to be that way. I was going to do those things. And he died for me anyway. He forgave me anyway. He knew you were going to be just like this. And he said, I, I love you. He saw you from the beginning of time and said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you. That's why we get to celebrate Christmas, beginning with the cradle. You know, Jesus, he was the word at the beginning that created. Then we broke that because of our sin. And right away, God said, I have a plan to fix that. You know, we're going to talk in two weeks about the wise men on, on Christmas Eve. You know, and the star, and, and, and there's still a lot of mystery around what is the star. Uh, but we watched a, a documentary thing that was actually kind of cool, uh, where they, they traced it back on a computer simulation of like, what would that have been like? And they, they, because everything in the sky is trackable, um, it moves predictably, and it went back, it's like, oh my goodness. On that day, there was like a collision of certain stars and constellations and whatever, and, and maybe that's true or maybe not, but if it is true, how miraculous is that? That God, when he created the universe, said, I know what day I'm going to visit. I know what day I'm going to go, and so right now when I'm creating the cosmos, I'm creating, this gives me chills, I'm creating it so that everything's going to come together at just the right time when I take on flesh to come save those who I love. 
That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. The incarnation. Are you feeling anything? I am. (laughs) I'm feeling the love of God for us that leads us to worship. You know, as we look at the cradle, it's more than just a cradle. You know, the manger, God came. We read the story, Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because that's the city of David. Bethlehem, the place where the Messiah would be born. Joseph, in the line of David, had to go there. God uh, fulfilled his prophecies. We could talk about prophecy forever. But all the prophecies pointing to Messiah, Jesus fulfilled them. God in flesh. John 1, 4 and 9 says this. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He came into the world, why? To die, to rise from the dead, so that he could give life, so that as we see here in Philippians, every knee will bow. The point is he is king. The point is he is king over all. And someday, the Bible teaches clearly here and elsewhere, every knee will bow before Jesus. It doesn't mean everybody will be saved. That would be great if it meant that, but it doesn't mean that. But it does mean before the judgment or at the judgment, every person will recognize, oh, Jesus is king of all. Jesus is God. And either they will recognize it and go, darn, and they will bow, and then they will go through the judgment. Or they will be, hopefully, like all of us here who already recognize and worship. And and then when we see him, we go, we knew it. I mean, we've been worshiping, and we're going to continue to worship. But every knee will bow because he is worthy of all glory, of all honor, of all praise, because he is king. I want to read to you a a fictional story, but it's a story I found years ago. Uh, It's a story that I I think paints a, a good picture around Christmas. Once upon a time, a very young angel was being shown around the splendors and glories of the universe by a senior and experienced angel. To tell the truth, the little angel was beginning to get a little bit tired and a little bit bored. He had been shown whirling galaxies and blazing suns, and to his mind there seemed to be an awful lot of it all. Finally, he was shown the galaxy of which our planetary system is but a small part As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed out to a small and rather insignificant sphere turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull, as dirty as a tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger Well, it looks kind of small and dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied his senior solemnly, is the visited planet. Visited, said the little angel. You don't mean visited by. Indeed, I do. That ball, which I have no doubt looks to you small and insignificant and not perhaps over clean, has been visited by our prince of glory. At these words, he bowed his head reverently. The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you calling them creepy, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them 
to lift them up. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Close your eyes for a moment, said the senior angel, and we will go back in what they call time. While the little angel's eyes were closed and the two of them moved nearer to the spinning ball, it stopped its spinning, spun backward quite fast for a while, and then slowly resumed its usual rotation. Now look. And as the little angel did as he was told, there appeared here and there on the dull surface of the globe little flashes of light, some merely momentary and some persisting for quite a time. What am I seeing now? asked the little angel. You were watching this little world as it was some thousands of years ago, returned his companion. Every flash and glow of light that you see is something of the Father's knowledge and wisdom breaking into the minds and hearts of people who live upon the earth. Not many people you see can hear his voice or understand what he says, even though he is speaking gently and quietly to them all the time. Why are they so blind and deaf and stupid? Asked the junior angel rather crossly. It's not for us to judge them. We who live in the splendor have no idea what it's like to live in the dark, but watch, for in a moment you will see something truly wonderful. The earth went on turning and circling around the sun, and then, quite suddenly, in the upper half of the globe, there appeared a light, tiny but so bright in its intensity that both angels hid their eyes. I think I can guess, said the little angel in a low voice. That was the visit, wasn't it? Yes, that was the visit. The light himself went down there and lived among them. Open your eyes now. The dazzling light has gone. The prince has returned to his home of light, but watch the earth now. As they looked, in place of the dazzling light, there was a bright glow which throbbed and pulsated. And then as the earth turned many times, little points of light spread out. A few flickered and died, but for the most part, the lights burned steadily. As they continued to watch, in many parts of the globe, there was a glow. You see what is happening, said the senior angel. The bright glow is the company of loyal men and women he left behind. And with his help, they spread the glow, and now lights begin to shine all over the earth. Yes, yes, said the little angel impatiently, but how does it end? Will the lights join up with one another? W will it all be light as it is in heaven? His senior angel shook his head. We simply don't know, he replied. The end is not yet, but now I'm sure you can see why this little ball is so important. He has visited it. Yes, I see, although I don't understand. I shall never forget that this is the visited planet. Now that's a, a silly little story, but think about the picture. You know, the Bible does talk about the angels looking on in wonder. The angels see what God does, and, and they, they question, they wonder. Now they get to participate in it, but we are that visited planet where God took on flesh to save us. The eternal God, the God of all glory, the King of kings, decided that he loved us enough to go to a manger, to be in a cradle so that he could go to the cross, so that when he sat on his throne, we could worship him. Let's worship now. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you. We worship you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to stir our hearts. We are so thankful and grateful. We have nothing apart from you. All we have is, is sinfulness and, and death, destruction, hopelessness. But in you, we have confidence, security, joy. 
God, I love those lists of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And the list goes on. These are your gifts to us. You know, I, loved, I would love to say that at Christmas we get to bring you all these great things, but really it's you that has given it all to us. And all we can bring back is our sacrifice of praise, that we love you, we know who you are, and we worship you, we bow our knees to you. You are our king, and we want you to be on the throne of our lives. We love you. Be glorified. Let our voices now, let our hearts now be an aroma to you acceptable. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.